Hi, this is Joel Selvin, and you're listening to Your Morning Coffee, the podcast, with my friends Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchart, weekly music news for the new music business. From Billboard, record label market share, Q3 2023, Republic stays dominant while Interscope and Atlantic surge. From Music Business Worldwide, five observations on Epic Games' sale of Bandcamp to SongTrader. And from Media, does culture become a commodity or do commodities become culture? Mm. Hmm. As he scratches his head. Well, Jay, let's start the show right now because we've got so much to talk about and we are glad you are all here. So we're going to press the button right about now. Stand by for transmission. This is London calling. Wake up! The revolution is at hand! Your morning coffee is on the air. Your Morning Coffee, the weekly music news for the new music business. It's the highly curated, agitated, advocated, moderated, and liberated digital music information that you need to know. We are your digital music authority. And now, from our studios in Hollywood, California, here's your hosts, Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchart. blast uh, before we uh, get into some cooler weather and how about that uh, that music that intro music there by Silver Plains 
I like that stuff a lot, and that is it. It, it it's got a '70s feel to it in in the best ways. I yeah, mean, I, I can't even really describe what it is that makes it sound kind of '70s-ish, but yeah. uh, super but melodic. It does. You know, more more hooks than a tackle box, as they say. Um, that's yes. Aaron Smart on lead vocals, uh, Ian Baca on bass and keyboards, and Jesse Kramer, son of Aerosmith's uh, drummer Joey Kramer. Uh, he's on drums. And uh, this is really interesting. The album's called Airbus. It's out. The band is Silver Plains. And it was produced by legendary producer Jack Douglas, who, of course, you know, John Lennon, Aerosmith, Cheap Trick. But, but what I thought was super interesting is it was mixed by Jeff Emmerich. And wow. people will remember Jeff Emmerich worked with the Beatles, of course, Badfinger, Elvis Costello, among others. So... A lot of melody here, a lot of talent here. I just love that album. Uh, so that and is, that must have been one of the last things that Jeff it was did the last he's... thing that he worked oh, on. Oh my goodness! And by the way, that's his, Jeff Emmerich's book is a must read. Uh, fantastic yes. book on his career and by all accounts, just a lovely human. And uh, wow, what a what a treat for for an artist to have those two guys. Uh, <laughs> Can you imagine behind the console at the oh console? My gosh, like, legendary. Wow. Yeah, super cool. So, well, a, uh, go a lot of things coming up, aren't yes. they? A lot of a lot of uh, a lot of uh, uh, kind of things you would want to go to for yeah, sure. Yeah, a lot of events coming up that you and I have been sort of talking about before we hit record. Um, the Jump Global Annual Summit 2023 that's happening mm -hmm. in LA, November 12th through the 14th, and that's really personal and professional development for music business humans. And uh, they were kind enough to give our listeners and readers a discount code. So if you want to go to the Jump Global Annual Summit, um, use the code JGCommunity23 and you'll get $200 off. Um, that's also in your morning coffee, the newsletter. If you don't have anything to write that down with, it's in the newsletter. And I will put that in the show notes as well, Jim. Oh, thank you, sir. A couple other uh, conferences that you and I have been talking about. Uh, Music Tectonics is coming up oh, really yeah. soon, October 24th mm -hmm. through 26th in Santa Monica. You and I will be there. Yes, we will. We will. And I know we've got the Music Business Association Conference coming up May 15th through the 18th of next year, 2024 in Nashville. I've already so booked my hotel calendar. and flights, you know. Um, Good for you. You yes. want to get ahead of that. So, you know, we're uh, they're one of our sponsors and uh, we're uh, big fans as well. Um, one thing I wanted to give a quick plug to is one of my other podcasts, the Music Biz Weekly with Mike Brandvold. Um, we've been doing this for years. We're, I guess we're close to 600 episodes, well over a <laughs> million amazing, downloads. Dude. Yeah, it's, it's a beast. And it's really for DIY artists <clears throat> to help kind of guide them on their path. But this week, we had an incredible interview with Stacey Bedford. And you may know Stacey Bedford as the CEO of Banzoogle, but mm -hmm. as of about a month ago, she is now the general manager of DistroKid. And uh, it was really cool. Um, we actually, uh, Mike Brandvold and I on Music Biz Weekly, we were her first interview seven years ago when she became the CEO of Banzoogle. Wow. And again, Banzoogle is a sponsor. Um, I've built many websites using Banzoogle. Uh, we'll talk about them in a minute, but it was really a, a great interview. If you get a chance, check out, um, I think it drops Monday, a Music Biz Weekly interview with Stacey Bedford, who's now uh, part of that uh, DistroKid team. And if you hadn't read in your morning coffee, um, 
DistroKid has bought Banzoogle, so now they're all under the same company, and Stacy is now the GM. Big congrats to Stacy. That's that's huge. Good for her. Yeah. Um, the other thing, just to touch on really quickly, is you saw the news. I know you and I talked about this. That Spotify is going to be giving their paid subscribers 15 hours of audiobook listening, and they're going to do it uh, in Australia and the UK first. Um, the US, I guess, is coming this winter. And I'm a big audiobook fan. I know you are too. Um, but as you read the, the stories about this this week, you find that this uh, giving of 15 hours is only 70% of their bestsellers. Um, and by the way, the average audiobook is about eight to 12 hours in length. So you basically get one sort of free audiobook um, out of uh, 150,000 titles. But Daniel X says that he thinks that it's a big opportunity for Spotify. He thinks that audiobooks are a $70 billion business at some point. So it'll be, uh, it'll be really fun to see how this rolls out. And there, there were some rumors around. I don't know if you heard about this, but um, with Spotify's um, upcoming hi-fi, you know, high-fidelity tier, mm -hmm. they're saying mm -hmm. that the users may get up to 30 hours of audiobooks with that. So um, we'll watch this story as it develops. Well, and as you and I were speaking, it's like... Uh, we need to kind of find out really what's what is the deal with audiobooks in terms of the back you know how how does that how does that business model work exactly and I don't know the answer to that but I I know people that might and so we're going to try to get some answers about that and we'll we'll, we'll bring back some information yeah you know. you know my favorite thing about that Mike uh, on these audiobooks is a lot of a lot of times it's the author reading their own book yes and you get humor can be good yeah. can be bad <laughs> yeah but you know you you get humor that you don't get sometimes when you're reading uh, yes. the physical book and it's it's pretty cool and we've talked about some of them you know like the bono uh, book which is so good because yes, it's it he's great. so charming and it's him reading it but then each chapter starts with music which is mm -hmm. you know really difficult to get that uh, cleared, but uh, they did, and it's it's so amazing. But anyway, that's that's sort of what's going on on, on the audiobook side. Um, and in your morning coffee this week, um, I recommended a new book um, by Howie Singer and Bill Rosenblatt. It's called Key Changes: The Ten Times Technology Transformed the Music Industry. And uh, we, you and I should walk through some of these that you and I consider to be some of our favorite books that this book is certainly in that class. Well, and I, I will start that by saying when you and I first met at Universal, one of the things I noticed when I walked into your office was that you had some of the same books I had in my office, which was, was huge. And of course, <laughs> the first one, which you and I got the first edition of, and I think we both have every edition yes. since, is Donald, Donald Passman's All You Need to Know About the Music Business. And there is a new edition coming soon. That is... That has been, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've pulled that off my shelf and just yeah. looked, you know, looked up something and it's such a wonderful resource. Yeah. And Everybody he's, he's coming, he's going to join us um, on the podcast. Yeah. Donald Passman can is, hardly wait. we're, uh, we're just working out the details right now. He's got a new edition of the book, edition number 11 coming in a couple of weeks and 10 we talked about on the podcast because it mm -hmm. had so much new information, you know, about AI and web three and just everything. I mean, he, I, I don't know anybody in the music industry really that doesn't have that book on their shelves, but like you said, we, we check all of those out. I just finished reading, I got an advanced copy of the new book 
And I can't wait for you and I to talk about or talk to Donald when he comes on the show. Yes, absolutely. Uh, we also have the Brabeck Brothers Music, uh, Money, and Success, The Insider's Guide to Making Money in the Music Business. Another great book, oh, another must-have. Such a great book. It shows you all these ways to monetize. And one of my all-time favorite books uh, about the music industry is from our friend Steve Knopper. And mm -hmm. Steve wrote the book Appetite for Self-Destruction. If you haven't read that one, it's a good one. Um, a must-read. Mike Warner's Work Hard, Playlist Hard, another Absolutely fantastic book you must have. Yep, we've had him on the show, as well as Ari Herstand. Um, his book is How to Make It in the New Music Business. And uh, you know, and now we have this. And again, the, the book that uh, we just got that we love is Key Changes, The Ten Times Technology Transformed the Music Industry. And the last thing I'll say on it really quickly is just the first two chapters giving you sort of a history uh, lesson on the music industry and formats and changes is worth the price of admission. So um, Howie and Bill are going to be joining us on the podcast soon, and uh, we'll have a great conversation. Looking forward to that. Yeah, absolutely. Gosh darn it. It's, uh, and, we, and we just, we love the books, you know? It's, it's so fun and, and informational. And, you know, we, I think you and I might have mentioned this before on the podcast, but, you know, when you start in the music business, if, you, if you're working in the music business, nobody sits you down, really, and gives you the backstory of how that company or whatever got there. And I've learned so much about the companies that I've worked for through the books that I've read because 100%. you never get that download and it's just so interesting. So yeah, well, before anyway. we move into these other things, um, just a quick shout out to a couple of our favorites. We, we talk about Bobby Borg and Bobby Osinski quite a bit, man, there's just so many great books and not enough time to mention them all. But, uh, if you go, you know, Google Bobby Borg or uh, Bobby Osinski, there's some really, really great, uh, books there. And before we jump into our stories, you and I were talking about one of our favorite newsletters, which is uh, The Ledger by Glenn Peoples over at Billboard, mm -hmm. which you can subscribe to for free. And uh, he talks a little bit about how people may be underestimating, you know, the just the power of Taylor Swift and uh, just her unique place in the business world. Yeah, he starts by saying, for as much has been said and written about Taylor Swift in recent years, there's a chance people have been underestimating the 33-year-old musician's unique place in the business world. Swift's prowess as a recording artist and songwriter is well known as the most popular artist in the U.S. across several consumption metrics. She has 11.7 million equivalent album units, EAUs. And we'll get year. into that in a second. Yeah, through September 21st, about 70% more than the number two artist. Artist Morgan Wallen, according to Luminate. Check that out. 70% yeah. more than the number two artist. Right. And when you she drop something like equivalent album units, mm -hmm. you and I like to remind people what that means. Um, typically, well, EAUs convert streams to track sales into album units, right? So right. we call it SEA, streaming equivalent albums. And the Billboard 200 includes two tiers for sort of, you know, tracking on-demand audio streams. Tier one is paid. Tier two is ad-supported because they're not worth the same, right? So Correct. tier one, those paid subscription audio streams, that equates to 1,250 streams to one album unit, right? And right. then on tier two, the ad-supported, it's more. It's 3,750 streams to one album unit. Just wanted to right. remind folks. 
Exactly. Well, and Taylor also has the highest album sales, physical album sales, digital album sales, digital track sales, on-demand audio streams, and airplay spins so far in 2023. Yeah. Not to mention, a few people have seen that that live show. Just a couple. Oh my goodness. And then the movie coming out. I mean, it's... She is on... I mean, a really un... Uh, unprecedented right. almost when you, yeah, when you think about everything she's accomplished this year and in her career, it's absolutely stunning. Yeah, stunning. It's, it, it really is. And, and again, we, uh, we always watch the ledger, uh, the newsletter, subscribe to it for free. Um, always really great stuff in there from Glenn Peoples. So thank you. We love uh, that. Thank you, Glenn. And speaking of love, Jay, how about our sponsors? We must thank our sponsors because we are so appreciative of sure everything are. they do for us to help put the show together. Yeah, let's uh, kick it off by thanking um, our friends uh, over at Banzoogle, um, built by musicians for musicians. Banzoogle is an all-in-one platform that makes it easy to build a beautiful website and EPK for your music. All the features that you need for a professional website, everything is built right in. Things like hosting and a custom domain name, dozens of fully customizable design templates, tools to sell your music and merch commission-free, commission-free crowdfunding and fan subscription features, mailing list tools to grow your fan list and send newsletters, social media integrations, and live support from their musician, <laughs> it's easy for you to say, their musician-friendly team, seven days a week. Your Morning Coffee podcast listeners can go to banzoogle.com, try it for free for 30 days. Just use a promo code MORNINGCOFFEE, all one word, and that will get you 15% off your first year of any subscription. That's Banzoogle com promo code morning coffee and the YMC podcast is also sponsored by Hypebot since 2004 Hypebot has chronicled the new music industry and the trends and technologies that are changing how music is discovered consumed marketed and monetized it is edited daily by founder Bruce Houghton with help from Alana Bonilla Hypebot and sister blog Music Think Tank are published by live music discovery and marketing platform Bands in Town yes sir Bands in Town over 80 million live music fans trust Bands in Town to get personalized concert alerts recommendations and messages from their favorite artists. It's the number one artist services platform connecting over 590,000 artists with their super fans. Managers, labels, agencies, and artists access their own dashboard to manage and promote their tour dates across all platforms. And we are also sponsored by the Music Business Association. The Music Business Association hosts an annual slate of in-person and virtual events so industry professionals across the globe can come together to discuss hot-button issues and support the growth of the entire music business community. Join us for the Music Biz 2024 conference May 13 through 16 at the JW Marriott in Nashville, Tennessee. And Jay Gilbert will be there and buying the drinks. What? Big thanks to Banzoogle, Hypebot, Bands in Town, and the Music Business Association. We certainly appreciate it. Yeah, we do. And I get to hang out, my buddy, with I get to hang out with my buddy Jay Gilbert. He is a music industry consultant. He is the curator of the weekly Your Morning Coffee newsletter and a former executive with Universal Music. Sony Music and Warner Music Groups, and man, he is up late and up early when he gets that <laughs> newsletter out, and it is a fabulous resource. Well, coffee helps. And uh, this gentleman sitting across from me, uh, one of my favorite people on the planet, Mike Etchart, longtime host of Sound and Vision Radio, formerly of SST Records, Warner Music, Capital EMI, and Universal Music Group. 
Yes, indeed. And let's jump into the stories, Jay. The first one from uh, Billboard. Record label market share, Q3 of 2023. Republic stays dominant while Interscope and Atlantic surge. Yeah, this is a really, really deep dive. Um, It's so good. It was written by Dan Rice uh, over at at Billboard. And there's some really great charts in here, um, you know, not only on market share, but then they kind of drill down. So you see the market share of like the music group, and then you see each individual label. Um, the, the market share graph looks like a donut, and I'll probably take those as we move forward and let you kind of talk about some of the highlights. But just to kick it off, you know, this year has been defined by consistency at the top of the charts. And, and one record, record label has led in current market share in each of the first three quarters, and that's Republic Records, which has a 12.28% of the market share through September 28th, and that's according to Luminate, right? So that's a a negligible drop from last quarter's 12.46%, and more than four percentage points higher than the 8.77% share the label had for the same period last year. That's right. You may wonder how they got there. Well, much <laughs> like uh, the year overall, it's been headlined by the massive Morgan Wallen album, One Thing at a Time, which has racked up more than 4.5 million equivalent album units mm-hmm. since its March debut. And that new breaking artist, Taylor Swift's prolific release schedule, which not only includes her latest collection of new tracks, Midnight's, but also the release of Speak Now, Taylor's version. Both are among the top 10 albums of the year so far. Republic Share also includes uh, Island, Big Loud, Mercury, Cash Money, and indie distributor Imperial. That's right. Morgan Wallen's dominance is, is so big that his label, Big Loud, would rank eighth among all labels on its own with a 2.69% current market share if it were broken out from Republic. That's incredible. Um, With both One Thing at a Time and his uh, latest release, Dangerous, the double album, um, both counting towards current share. Current is defined as albums released within the past 18 months and have remained in the top half of the Billboard 200. So I'm going to kick off the market share and you can kind of drill down into some of the highlights. But if you look at just overall music group market share, um, you've got Universal Music Group at a little over 38% market share, which is massive. Sony Music Group, a little over 27%. Uh, Warner Music Group with almost 19%. And then the Indies, this is a pretty big market share. The Indies are almost 16% market share. So I thought, you know, for music groups, yes, Universal's leading the pack. um, But Indies are doing well. Everybody's sort of, you know, doing well. Yeah, remarkable. Uh, Coming in at a comfortable second place with big third quarter releases uh, from Olivia Rodrigo and New Jeans was Interscope, Geffen A&M, which hit a high mark for the year so far with an 8.55% current share, which is a half point increase over its mid-year mark. It's down from 9.23 current share posted at the third quarter mark of 2022, but it's a strong showing in a year in which Republic has vacuumed up, as they say, so much market share. And, uh, IGA's share also includes the Verve label group. So it's interesting to see kind of how they break that down. Yeah. And the the top sort of five there for these uh, labels, the Interscope Geffen A&M that you just mentioned, Mm -hmm. IGA, um, number two is Republic, number three, Atlantic, number four, Capital, and number five, Warner uh, Records. And it's, 
you know, obviously this is release driven. Um, but what amazes me is year after year, it's the same five to 10 labels that are consistently fighting yeah. for those spots. Um, their A&R teams are world-class because they keep breaking and developing artists. Right. Well, and again, you look at the dominance of all of the Universal Music Group labels. It's pretty stunning when you look at their market share. So, uh, yeah, big numbers, encouraging. Yeah. And uh, wow, those but those top two two artists, how how much they dominate the charts. Yeah. And, uh, and we talked yeah. about overall market share, and then we described you know what what current means, and if you look at the current uh, versus overall it's really not that different other than the fact that indies have a much larger market share when it comes to just measuring current, you know, 18 months or, or less, um, that market share is over 20%. So, uh, really impressive, um, on the indie front. And then the other part of this we should talk about is catalog, right? Take a yes. look at the, I mean, the catalog market share and how these labels are doing it. And remember catalog is 75% of the business. So this is meaningful revenue. Right. They say how uh, factoring in back catalog to look at overall market share shakes up the top two. Interscope takes the top spot with 9.57, besting Republic's 9.49% by a shade over half a million units, though, through the first three quarters, with Atlantic and third at 8.31%. That's due to the deeper catalog of Interscope, Geffen A&M, and Atlantic. They're number one and two uh, uh, in catalog only share. Um, and Republic finished third at 8.54%. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah. catalog huge, and it kind of depends, again, on the depth of your catalog and yeah. uh, how that shakes out. So if you look at the music groups, um, just on catalog, um, their market share, Universal Music Group, over 39%. And that's massive, uh, just because of all the revenue that's there, right? And then Sony Music Group, a little over 27%. Warner Music Group, about 19%. And the indies right in there at a little over 14% market share when it comes to uh, catalog, which they include is, you know, uh, over 18 months old. So um, really interesting piece by Dan Rise. And it's always fun to sort of look at the, uh, the market share from uh, all of these labels. Yep, doing really, really well. Uh, this next one, Jay, super interesting. From Music Business Worldwide, five observations on Epic Games' sale of Bandcamp to Song Trader. Yeah. And that went down just fairly recently. Yeah, and there were three stories in your morning coffee this week about this. Um, different takes on it. I really liked the Music Business Worldwide piece. This is by Murray Stassen. Uh, we're just such big fans of music business worldwide and Murray's of course. And he kicks it off by saying that song trader got the entire music business talking last week with the news that it's the new owner of prominent D to C and merch buying platform Bandcamp and D to C direct to consumer. For those that don't know, Bandcamp was acquired by song trader from Epic games. And that's the maker of hit video game Fortnite, for example. And that was just after 18 months uh, uh, after Epic itself acquired Bandcamp. Mm-hmm. So Epic's divestiture, divestiture, that's easy for you to say, of Bandcamp arrived alongside the news that the gaming giant is laying off around 16% of its global workforce. So uh, a lot of news this week on this song trader acquisition of Bandcamp. 
But uh, their take on this really was five observations about what the deal means for Song Trader, Bandcamp, and other players in the music industry, and and kind of you know off, offering some interesting questions like number one. Yeah. Why didn't one of the majors buy Bandcamp? Mm. And, you know, as he says, as a, as a music store with what it says is a community of over 5 million artists and labels, Bandcamp is a key player in the independent direct-to-consumer or D2C market. Plus, with over a decade in the D2C business, Bandcamp owns a gold mine of data around the buying trends and behaviors of superfans. And boy, you and I have talked about superfans so much yes. over the last couple of weeks and how important superfans are. Uh, in terms of of sales. Uh, um, So one group of music vendors especially excited by the lucrative potential of super fans in the streaming era is, of course, the three major music companies. Yet for whatever reason, perhaps one of price, Universal Music Group, Sony Music Group, and Warner Music Group were evidently not interested in acquiring Bandcamp to boost their own D2C businesses, nor their increasingly large presence in the world of independent artists. Yeah. Uh, companies like ADA and AWOL and uh, The Orchard. Yeah. Interesting interesting question to ask. Why not? Why did they not consider that? Yeah. And who knows? Yeah. And let's look at question number two. Why didn't Spotify buy Bandcamp? So right. why didn't they? You know, think about it. Spotify could have acquired its very own D2C merch selling platform with a super fan centric user base and integrate it directly into Spotify for artists. Spotify currently offers artists the ability to sell their merch on their profiles via a partnership with Shopify, of course. Artists can also list merch via Merch Bar on Spotify, but Bandcamp could have offered Spotify so much more. In the press release announcing its acquisition of SongTrader, Bandcamp is claimed to be a, quote, music store and community with over 5 million artists and labels. Spotify could have learned a lot from the data around the platform's user base of fans, artists, and labels to inform editorial decisions, research and development for new features, not to mention giving artists a native platform to list and sell their merch. So I love those first two questions. You know, why didn't a major acquire it? Why didn't Spotify acquire it? Well, and then turning the question around, uh, he said, number three, what was Epic Games thinking by buying a D2C music platform in the first (laughs) place? Epic Games is very good at making and marketing games. So good, in fact, that it confirmed that its flagship title, Fortnite, counted over 350 million registered users in 2020. In 2021, that number jumped uh, to 400 million. In addition to Fortnite, Epic Games is the developer behind the Unreal Engine, a powerful 3D creation tool Mm -hmm. that offers photorealistic graphics. Around three years ago, Epic Games started getting a bit closer to the music business, um, serving as a popular virtual platform uh, for performance space for major stars, while its Unreal Engine platform formed the building blocks for 3D music videos created by Sony Music, immersive music music studios. Uh, Then in March 2020, Epic bought Bandcamp, announcing in a statement at the time that BC was set to to play an important role in its vision to build out a creator marketplace ecosystem for content, technology, games, art, music, and more. You know, a lot of people thought that was an odd mix, and there were a lot of stories um, about that. And it's this piece is so good because he digs into all of these areas and we could talk for hours, you know, about the gaming side, but number four was Tencent and Sony, um, but especially Tencent. 
just became even more powerful in the music business, right? So one point mentioned in the press release announcing the news of Song Trader's Bandcamp acquisition is that via the deal, Epic Games just became an investor in Song Trader. So according to the press release, Epic Games is investing in Song Trader to support Bandcamp's successful integration into the music platform's new owner. It's worth taking a look at who owns Epic Games um, at present to, to see why that's significant news in and of itself. One significant stakeholder in Epic Games is China headquartered technology giant Tencent. Uh, Tencent Holdings, the owner of Tencent Music Entertainment. We talk about them all the time. So Tencent you know, has a 20% uh, stake in Universal Music Group. It also owns stakes in Spotify, Warner Music Group, and a JV label based in Hong Kong, uh, Liquid State. So I thought that was a really interesting take as well. Well, and it gets even more confusing. Uh, Tencent owns around 40% of the North Carolina headquartered Epic via $330 million investment made in 2012. Meanwhile, in April of last year, Epic Games confirmed uh, that J- uh, Japan headquartered Sony Corporation had agreed to spend $1 billion to acquire an additional stake in its company. Um, when you talk about all the money in this thing, it's amazing. This article specifically talks about it. It's, it's amazing how, inf- how, how much Tencent has, has gone to all of these different companies yeah. and, and basically bought stakes. They it's, have their tentacles all over totally. the they're they're a beast and we talk about them quite a bit number five let's talk about song trader is now a serious b to c player in addition mm-hmm. to being a prominent b to b player um business to consumers b to c and business to business is b to b for those that don't know last but definitely not least is, is what the deal means for song traders own positioning in the global music business the Santa Monica-based music company led by CEO and founder um, Paul Whitshear, um, who they have a picture of him in the article here, has been active in expanding his portfolio through strategic acquisitions over the past few years. But this latest deal marks a significant shift in the type of company Song Trader has targeted. A song trader's strategic move into the increasingly important direct-to-fan space promises to be positive news for the actual artists who use Bandcamp. Uh, song trader said in its press release last week that it will also offer Bandcamp artists the ability and choice to have their music licensed to all forms of media, including content creators, game and app developers, and brands. The company added that this will enable artists to continue to own and control their music rights and increase their earning capacity for from Song Traders Global Licensing Network. Yeah, and and for those that don't know, just really quickly as we end this piece, is that Song Traders specializes in licensing fully cleared music for sync to a range of clients, including the likes of Disney, Netflix, Apple, Coca-Cola, Amazon, and Columbia Pictures. So, you know, they're also the official TikTok sound partner you know, and from their website, it says, you know, through flexible monthly, yearly or project based licensing plans, we enable brands and creators to develop sound on strategies for TikTok. So this is an incredible development this week and just a, a fantastic piece. We're just kind of skimming it. But um, if you really want to do a deep dive, um, five observations on Epic Games sale of Bandcamp to Song Trader, uh, written by Murray Stassen over at Music Business Worldwide. Fantastic piece. 
And when I read about it, this reminds me of, it's probably been going on now 30 years, both the music business and the gaming business has always looked at each other across the pond, so to speak, and said, you know, our businesses are so similar. I should be in that business and each of them saying that. And I was part of that at the Warner Music Group and their sort of failed attempt at doing gaming. Um, and there's always been this kind of uh, attraction between the two, the two industries that they are similar, but they are also very, very different. Yeah. And it's, 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 it's it usually, historically speaking, it has been a rough road when a gaming company or a music company buys the other and and find out that really it's different cultures, it is different uh, technologies, and oftentimes it just does not work. So yeah. we will we will see. Well, the, we shall see. The one thing that jumped out at me was, you know, you were talking about they're expecting the number of uh, Fortnite users to jump to four hundred million people. It's crazy. It's a beast. It is a beast. Well, I hope it works out well. For all, uh, all involved. Yeah. But, uh, like I said, it's there is a long history of of these things not working out sometimes. So yeah. Uh, our number three story, Jay, is from Media. Does culture become a commodity, or do commodities become culture? This is such a great piece, uh, written by Hannah Collert. We've covered her work before, and and listeners of this program know that we're huge fans, fanboys of uh, Midia and the team over there. This is just another really interesting piece. And I, and I learned things not only from their reports, but they sort of dig into different angles that I hadn't really thought about. And I'll just kick this one off. You know, Hannah starts with, she said, um, more than three fourths of audiences believe that the music they listen to reflects who they are. This rises to more than four fifths of people aged 25 to 44. It reflects who they are. Music listening is also incredibly personal. Roughly a third of people listen to playlists that they curate themselves for exercising, hanging out with friends, working or studying, or just when they're out and about. Yet so many of the way music discovery is being pushed is an attempt to remove the ability to self-curate radio stations and discover playlists that pass and disappear with no fandom or affinity generated as a result. Spotify's Daylist is just an extension of this removal of choice from the hands of audiences. The inevitability of AI-generated music to fill these playlists and stations will make it worse. Such a reality would be good in a way for streaming services who can lower their music licensing costs by generating their mm. own music. But needless to say, this does not bode well for musical cultural moments. No, and we hadn't really thought of it in terms of cultural moments. But as Hannah points out, music is integral to culture from early humans with drums to elaborate romance era sonatas to the counterculture electronic beats of house music in the 80s, the most powerful artists are not just observers, but uh, live and breathe the moments of time that the, they can then turn into melodies that last decades, if not centuries. Ask Mozart. <laughs> the same goes for visual storytelling. From Shakespeare's rowdy plays to 60s sitcoms to the rise of Star Wars, these stories had something to say about the cultures that gave rise to them, which nevertheless were rooted in timeless human truths. Yeah, she, she goes on to point out that, you know, what cultural highlights represent the quote unquote soul of our world today in film 
concentrated efforts to regenerate these sorts of moments has resulted in historical biopics like Oppenheimer and a questioning of our social roles under capitalism, Barbie. In music, a few names may spring to mind, but most predate the 2020s and harken back to the 10s. She says, this is not because culture isn't happening. It is because it is being commodified so early in its life cycle, it does not have time to really take hold. Commodification is becoming culture in a double-edged, subversive sort of way. TikTok is inextricable from the identity of Gen Z with the rise of social, e-commerce, and an oversaturated digital space wherein everyone is competing for likes, comments, shares, and sponsorships. People have begun to commodify themselves through their social media presence. And that says it all. I mean, that, that paragraph is, uh, there's a lot to that. And uh, it's, it's really important to sort of recognize how things are shifting. Um, but she says that's the culture now. And it's largely, although not exclusively, a second order impact of streaming Streaming stripped the intrinsic value from entertainment and made it simply about more, be it TV shows or songs. The pressure for more stuff more often leaves none of it enough time to permeate and generate any kind of cultural momentum. I hadn't really thought of it like this before. This is Mm -mm. super interesting. The commodification of culture has resulted in a culture of commodity, wherein the big things are no longer happening on TV screens and stages, but rather in viral moments that pass across social platforms created and distributed by consumers themselves and leaving established entertainment to play catch up. She says, for culture, this is simply an evolution, albeit perhaps a mildly tragic one reflecting circumstance. For entertainment, this should be considered as a threat. The music industry in particular is largely one entity that has grown up around people who would be doing music anyway and just needed a way to make a living out of Mm. it. But this noble underpinning is fading as so much of the industry focuses on just being another content machine to drive up metrics on digital platforms rather than being at the cutting edge of culture. The industry is increasingly chasing it to catch up. That is so true. Uh, that that part about you know the content machine to drive up metrics on digital platforms, mm-hmm. it's the bane of uh, uh, the industry right now, in my humble opinion. In the end, culture can be commodified, but only after it's already established. The creative industries used to allow this leeway in the form of artist development and waiting for impact before signing and giving boosts in the right place at the right time. But now, with the speed of production and the hype cycle at such a breakneck pace, it's no longer part of the consideration in commercial viability. She says, more than any specific strategy, this priority first needs to change. Art should come first, followed by culture, and then commodification can follow in its wake as an economic backing. To lead with the need to make money is killing the actual value of the thing being monetized. Is that the future the music industry really wants for itself? Is it, and is it even a sustainable one to ensure the cultural foundation that makes the industry viable long-term, taking a step away from the content hype storm of more and back into the realm of why is something that the entire music industry value chain needs to do. While it may seem a risky break from the status quo, it is a long-term investment in not only the future of music and entertainment, 
but of culture itself. Yeah. Boy, that's deep and interesting and fascinating. Yeah, I had to read this true. a couple of times and I highlighted some things because there's a lot of great insights in there. So uh, again, if you want to read the full piece, it's in your morning coffee uh, this last week. It's from Hannah Collert uh, over at Midia. And once again, the headline is, does culture become a commodity or do commodities become culture? I, I love the way they take a look at the business. It's, it's not something I would have uh, considered. No, exactly. But on that note, Jay, it's time to go out into the heat and wrap up this episode, episode 165 of the Your Morning Coffee podcast. We want to thank everyone for listening. We also want to thank our sponsors because without them, we could not do the show. We do want to thank our good friends over at Banzoogle, Hypebot, Bands in Town, and the Music Business Association. And that, with that, Jay, let's call it a day. Thanks for listening, everyone. We will see you next time on the Your Morning Coffee podcast. You've been listening to Your Morning Coffee, the weekly music news program for the new music business. Join Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchard next time for the digital music news you need to know.